good morning. How is everyone? Cold? It is a wee bit chilly out there, isn't it? I saw a video the other day about the coldest inhabited town on the planet is Oymyakon, Russia. And I checked the temperature this morning. Before wind chill, it was minus 41. With the wind chill, minus 56. Sudbury feels a little bit like a tropical paradise, doesn't it? Well, welcome to everyone here, everybody who is watching online who didn't want to leave because it's freezing, or maybe you're shut in or whatever, but uh, to all those watching online, thanks for joining in. If Pastor Todd is watching, I have a passive-aggressive petition that I'm going to introduce right now. Because about six or seven months ago, he stopped doing the morning groaners. Does anybody remember the morning groaners? I miss the morning groaners. So, Pastor Todd, if you're watching, I have three this morning. Are you ready? All right. How many introverts does it take to screw in a light bulb? Why does it always have to be a group activity? (laughs) Did you know that you can tell an ant's gender just by putting it in water? If it sinks, girl ant. If it floats, Boyant. Boyant? Boy, float, get it? I'm killing it this morning. I did the last one, and I'm going to start this with an apology because if I offend somebody, I'm not really that sorry, but I'm a little bit sorry. A friend of mine who believes that the earth is not a globe, rather, it is a flat plane, he decided one day to prove to everyone. His point, and he decided to do this by walking all the way to the edge of the earth. But eventually he came around. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. Again, I apologize. Anyway, every sermon needs a good segue, doesn't doesn't it? So here's mine. Life is full of surprises, isn't it? We get that unexpected phone call or a knock at the door. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's a call from the hospital about someone you love. Sometimes it's a good surprise. Maybe you get that letter from that university that you applied to that you never thought you'd get in, but you got accepted. Or maybe a promotion opened up at work and they want me to take it? These are good surprises, right? But life is full of ups and downs. Sometimes a surprise will change your day. Sometimes a surprise will change the course of the rest of your life. And we're going to look at a story this morning about a man whose life was was going one direction, and it had been for a long time. And then after encountering Jesus, his life went a totally different way. The story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. So let's stand this morning. Am I doing this this morning, Steve? I don't even know if I'm hitting the right button. Was that me or was that you? That was you? I'm just going to put this away. I'm going to read the blue or whatever color that happens to be. I'm partially colorblind in case you didn't know. And you're going to read the white. As he, that's Jesus, passed by... He saw a man blind from birth. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Having said these things, he spit on the ground, delicious, and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for all that you do. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Pray that you would speak to us through your word. Pray that you would speak to us through your spirit. And that God, that no one would leave here unchanged, not because of anything I said, because of you. So thank you again, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In our society, there's this underlying belief, which is known simply as a moral cause and effect. That's not it. There it is. It simply states that for every good thing you do, or a cause, that there is, will be a bad effect, or, or, or a good effect, sorry, a reward. Subsequently, also, bad deeds produce bad rewards, consequences. Some people call this karma. We in Christianity teach something very similar, which is reap what you sow. And you hear this come out in the way a lot of people speak at times, right? Where they'll say something like, well, I'm just trying to be positive, right? I've heard a lot over the last couple of months, um, I'm sending positive thoughts. Thank you. And really, it seems like the fair idea, doesn't it? I mean, if you do good things, good things happen to you. And obviously, if you do bad things, bad things would happen, right? We teach our children something similar. When they misbehave, there's usually a consequence of some sort. When they do something right, maybe there's a reward. I'll often hear Christians that believe something very similar, actually. They'll say things like, well, God has to do this. I prayed. I prayed about it. And I prayed, and I even said in Jesus' name at the end of it. Let's get something really straight. That God really doesn't have to do anything. He's God, and he is sovereign. And trust me, you do not possess that kind of power. Or just because maybe we're listening to Christian radio while we're driving, we'll be free from the dangers that happen on the road sometimes. Maybe we're worshiping with our hands up. It's not a good idea, by the way. Or maybe because we read our Bibles that morning, everything's going to be okay. 
Nothing bad could happen. I read my Bible this morning. If your God is manipulable, he's not God. Trust me, you don't have that kind of power. Going back to the biblical story, Jesus and his disciples encounter this man who's blind from birth. And the disciples ask a very specific question. Who sinned? They're going on this assumption of cause and effect. The man is tragically born blind, and therefore he must have done something. And if he didn't do something, maybe his parents did something since he was born that way. In other words, what sin was committed for this man to be punished this way, with this disability? There has to be some sort of evil on his part for this to happen. After all, if anything would cause a man's disability, sin would be it, right? Except it's not. It's just not how things work. So when life surprises us, if it's positive, we usually don't question why, right? When something good happens, we'll usually, we don't ask why, we just say, well, God's blessing me. And that may be very true. But how do, us re- how do we react, especially when something bad happens, something negative, something painful? We seek answers. Logically, it only shows that when we receive good news, if God is blessing us, logically it only shows that, yeah, if something bad happens, um, we must, God must be punishing me, right? Is God punishing me? It only goes to show that the opposite would be true, except that it's not. The first thing the disciples did was try to provide some sort of explanation, and they did it in the form of a question. Who sinned? Who did something wrong? As though sin is the only plausible explanation... Because the easy answer is, yo, God must be punishing them. God must be punishing them. But Jesus puts them in their place like he so often has to do. And now I, I generally, when I read the Bible, I generally picture Jesus a little more animated than what we see him in the movies. So remember, this is the guy who called Peter Satan, flipped over tables, you know. He's a little more, I think he's a little more animated than what we see in the movies when he says something like, well... This man is not sin that this man or his parents. That's how we see it in the movies, right? I generally picture Jesus going like, buddy, no. Like, are you new? No, that's not how it goes. No, it's not because he sinned. It's not his parents. And I just imagine how Jesus actually responded and, you know, wondering what did John, oh, I'm not going to write that in. Jesus, oh, that was harsh. But he goes and says, no, but it's not his sin. And no, it's not his parents' sin. But it's so that God's glory would be put on display for everyone. One thing we're taught in Bible college is not to preach what isn't there. So, you know, if the Bible doesn't say it, don't talk about it too much. Um, I'm going to break the rules of just a tiny bit here, okay? Is that okay? Just a little bit. I'm going to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus does not respond with, well, God did this to him. He doesn't respond that way. He simply says it's so that God's glory would be made known. If you believe that God is always looking for something to punish us for, always waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us, I think you've missed the character and the nature of God. Yes, God is judge. Yes, punishment is real. 
But no, God does not desire that. He does not want that for anyone. It's not exactly how Jesus answers this question. And there's nothing wrong with us being inquisitive, right? We want to know answers and we wonder why things happen. But is it possible, is it just possible that sometimes the only answer is God will somehow be glorified through this? This answer doesn't work for an imperialistic society like ours where we need to have, you know, the recurring and reliable answer to every single question. Some things are just a mystery. Some things are just unknown other than, well, God's glory will be made known. I read this quote actually this morning and it fit perfectly. I'm reading a book right now by a man named Andrew Root and the book is called Exploding Stars, Dead Dinosaurs and Zombies. It's a book for youth pastors. It's a great book otherwise. But he says this in his, in his book, mystery is the unimaginable, unimaginable depths of reality itself. Mystery is the confession that there are events, occurrences, and happenings in the universe that cannot be captured by the human mind, and yet these things encounter us. Mystery is to be encountered by the deepest experiences of being that cannot be explained, not simply because they are challenging riddles, but because they are a form of being above or beyond any form of human logical understanding or technological know-how. Not bad for a youth ministry book, huh? But if there's no direct answer, we can't come up with a definitive, this is exactly why it happened, this is exactly how it happened, if there's no direct cause and effect, we start to ask why. Not just how it happened, but why? Why was this allowed? Why would this tragedy be allowed to take place? Why is my greedy neighbor so well off while I'm slugging it out nine to five? When will God bless me? So if we're reduced to, well, it isn't sin, it isn't karma, it's not necessarily God enforcing action on it, we're going to ask why. Why was this allowed to happen? If we knew that living out evil caused catastrophe every single time in our lives, uh, I don't think any of us would do anything wrong ever. If we always knew that every time we did something wrong, something bad would happen, none of us would ever do anything wrong because the action would then come back on us. Also, if we knew that every single time we did something good, that's all we would be doing. But unfortunately, when we do something wrong, sometimes we'll get away with it. For a time, usually. And when we do something good, we don't always get rewarded for it. It doesn't always work that way, and we know this. Reaping what you sow is generally true, but isn't exactly always the hard rule. It's not a reason or an excuse to simply live however you want, because, you know, well, who knows? It doesn't matter what will happen anyway. It's not an excuse. The Bible does say numerous times that good decisions lead to good consequences, if you will. And of course, common sense just dictates that. And of course, sin and the justice of God are real. But again, reaping what you sow is a principle which is generally true, not always the hard rule. In Matthew 5, most of what Jesus says in Matthew 5 would serve as a bit of a, uh, a shock to anyone listening at the time. It's affectionately known now as the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the chapter, he tells his followers to love and pray for their enemies. Not usually the first thing I'm praying for, but... He commands us, love your enemies, and he continues to go on to say, God makes his son rise and fall 
rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, something like this is usually said during times of tragedy, right? Something bad happens to you, people will say like, well, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? We equate bad events with rain. Now, I'm from southwestern Ontario, born and raised in farm country. I don't know where in human history we ever concocted the idea that rain was a bad thing. No, for real, like farmers really like rain. Any farmers here? Okay, it was a couple. And sun. You know, if there's no sun, we all die. The sun is a good thing. Rain is a good thing. Now, transfer this over to an agrarian society where most people are farmers, and you're in the Middle East. Sun and rain are a good thing. So we often equate this with bad things, but really it's Jesus... Jesus, remember, he, he finishes telling us right after this, love and pray for your enemies. Seek good to do others, both good and bad, just as God does good for the just and the unjust. What Jesus is really saying to us is the importance of our reaction when good things happen to bad people. But I also think it's safe to add that how we react when bad things happen to good people. What will you do when that happens? How will you react when someone receives something that they don't deserve? How will you react when someone deserves repercussion for something that they've done, but they don't get it? When the unfairness of the universe strikes, what will you do? How will you react when something bad happens to you? A lot of people have asked me over the last little while, I've been off on a, an extended sick leave for just the last few months. And so people have been asking how I'm doing and they've wondered, you know, what, what happened, what happened, what happened? Well, I'll, sh I'll share my story now. Last, it was May or June, I don't actually really remember. It's May or June, I was getting out of the shower and, uh, you know, just drying off and, and I noticed I did this and I went, what's that? I just thought, well, it's probably nothing. Next shower and throughout the days after that, I was, that's, I don't know what that is. That's weird. Maybe it's a tight muscle. Do you have muscles in here? I don't even know. But I was, you know, I was doing this, trying to stretch it, thinking like just the muscle was tight. And over time, over the next month or two, I started noticing like, Brittany, is this, Brittany's my wife, in case you're wondering. Brittany, is this, is that getting bigger? She said, yeah, I think that's getting bigger. So I can't say that I was really nervous at this point because I think I was still stuck on it's got to be just a sore muscle. And uh, I actually went to my chiropractor at the time. If you need a good chiropractor, I know a good one. He's blushing now because I know he's here. And he did the whole like, you know, break your back to make you feel better thing. And, um, and he's like, you have any more questions? I said, yeah, you want to just have a look here? He comes up and he goes, yeah, you should make an appointment with your doctor. Said, oh, okay. Chiropractor says, so you must. So I made an appointment with my doctor, and I don't know if I was really concerned. My doctor asked me, she said, well, you know, what's going on? I said, oh, I have this lump. She said, well, are, are you concerned? Not sure if I'm supposed to share this conversation with you, but I'm going to. 
Um, she said, are you, are you concerned? I said, well, yeah, well, you know, I don't really know any good stories with it started with, so I found a lump one day. Usually don't, usually. And so she said, well, I'm going to send you for an x-ray, ultrasound, and blood work today. Oh, okay. And I wasn't worried. I, I, I honestly wasn't worried at the time until I got my requisition and I was carrying it down the hallway to the, I think it was the x-ray here. And I remember looking at the bottom and, you know, it's always the doctor scribble. But then I noticed one word, and I said, stat. I thought, stat, that's something you see in the movies. That's not something I ever see. I said, oh, this is serious. Because that means the doctor wants it done now, which means the doctor's a little concerned. When the doctor's a little concerned. So I went to see my doctor after that. She said, come right back after you get all your tests done. Which, by the way, we have an amazing medical system here in Canada. I'm very thankful for our medical system. I had x-ray ultrasound and blood work done in an hour and 15 minutes. That's amazing. Very thankful for, for the medical system here. And so I got back and, and she asked me, she said, well, how honestly do you want me to be with you? I said, just tell me. What do you think? She said, well, it's one of two things. She said, one time, you're li- sometimes your lymph nodes can swell up from an infection, a sickness, a disease of something. Um, so, you know, it could be that. She said, but you, didn't, you, don't, you don't remember being sick? Said, no. You don't remember having anything? Said, no, other than my back, but that's not an infection. She said, well, the only other real possibility is that it's cancerous. And at first I rejected the thought. And I thought to myself, this isn't supposed to happen. This is not supposed to happen. And she referred me to the cancer center here in Sudbury, and I met with other doctors and having a biopsy and CT scan and all this stuff. It's amazing all the tests you go through. And I remember sitting with Brittany in a waiting room at the cancer center, and you're just waiting in this little room, waiting for the oncologist to come in, and he walks in and says, how you doing? I said, I don't know. You tell me. He says, well, biopsy results are in. You have Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's cancer in your lymph nodes. It's stage two. This isn't supposed to happen, I thought. I'm 34 years old. I was at the time. And at the time, I had a four-year-old daughter, three-year-old, a two-year-old daughter, and a six-month-old son. This is not supposed to happen. I'm not a perfect person. I can look at the news for five minutes and I can find 20 more people that are more deserving of this than I am. And the day I saw my daughter onto the bus for kindergarten, for senior, her first day of senior kindergarten, I drove to the hospital with Brittany and started my first round of chemotherapy. And I just kept asking, why? Why me? Why me? Why does this have to happen? One thing I was encouraged to do during this journey was, uh, was journal. I'm not much of a journaler. But I started to journal just, just because I figured maybe. So I'm going to share some of this with you. Is that okay? It's a little personal. I'm going to filter a little bit of it. I wrote this was on September the 8th, 2018. It's 9.45 p.m. It was cold and sunny that day. I wrote, it's been nearly two weeks since the diagnosis came in. Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
Hearing yourself say, I have cancer, is one of the most difficult things to hear. Chemotherapy is a strange feeling, not just physically, but it's very surreal. I still can't believe this is a reality. I'm not looking forward to continuing, but I know that I have to. There's three kids who need daddy sleeping upstairs right now. And I hate writing in here, but I know it's healthy. So here's hoping that I continue to document this journey. I only hope that it helps someone someday. How will I react when something bad happens to me? How will you react when something bad happens to you? The world is an unfair place. But in the midst of it, in the midst of it, there's hope. In the midst of uncertainty of what might or might not happen to you, there is hope. In verse 5 of the text we're looking at in John 9, verse 5 reminds, or Jesus reminds those that are listening, when he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus reminds us that he and he alone is God-made flesh. He alone is the savior of the universe, and in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And the unfairness of this world does not diminish the sovereignty of God. The unfairness of this world does not take away from the goodness of God. The unfairness of our circumstances and the unfairness of what happens to us does not change who God is. I hated hearing the doctors tell me the news. But let it remind you that the same God I served the day before and the same God I served after is the same God. He didn't change. God did not change after hearing bad news. We ask why, but in reality, the answer really is because the world's unfair. It's not fair. Sin has corrupted the system of creation and catastrophic events happen that are outside of our control. And can I just be honest with you? Sometimes life just kind of sucks. Sorry for the word. And when we, but when we can make sense in our minds that maybe, just maybe, the only reason for our circumstances is so that somehow... Somehow, God's glory would be made known through the whole thing. We stop asking why, and we start asking, what now? What do I do now? Brittany and I prayed throughout our journey, and even now. We prayed that, God, would you be glorified through this? God, would you get the glory through this? I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I ask you, God, would you get the glory? I was asked at one point by a friend of ours, and this is not to brag or anything like that, but they asked me, they're like, your handling is just really well. I said, well, thanks, I guess. They said, well, how are you handling it so well? Like, how are you doing so well through all this? I thought about it for a second. I said, Jesus? I don't really have another answer. I don't really, nothing else came to mind. I said, I, Jesus, I have an eternal hope. I have an eternal destination. 
I have a God who knows how to heal, and maybe he'll do that. But as, but as I was prayed, but if not, God's still God. I don't have another answer. I don't have anything else to say. Sooner or later, something will happen in your life. Oh, just to, just to let everybody know as well, um, I, I met with my oncologist last, two, week, two Fridays ago? We'll say two Fridays ago, I forget. And um, results from a, a, a PET scan and a CT scan uh, showed, uh, quote unquote, the nurse, there's no visible signs of cancer left in your body. So, um, we'll see what happens. I've got the usual follow-up three months and then another three months after that, and I'll let you know after that. But sooner or later, something will happen that will make you want to ask God why. Why me? Why is this happening? Why the injustice? Why the tragedy? Why do the evil seem to do so well? Why do good people ever see bad things? But when we wrap our head around God's glory through all of it, the why at times kind of just becomes irrelevant. I don't know why. I don't have a reason. And we stop asking the question why and we start asking what now? God, what do I do now? How do I respond in the midst of it all? How do I respond to the person who got something that they didn't deserve? whether it was good or whether it was bad? And how do I respond when something happens to me that I feel like I don't deserve, good or bad? I'm gonna close with a quote, shorter quote. Now I found this on social media, so I don't know if it's actually him who said it, but the quote works. It's by a guy named Stephen Furtick, who's a pastor down in the U.S., and he said, the only way God can show us he's in control is to put us in situations that we can't control. Life can be an unfair, but God is still God before you heard the news, and he's the same God after you heard the news. I want to encourage everyone this morning that When you go through those hardships, remember all that God has done. Remember all that God that will do. And remember who God is through everything. It can be unfair. Yes, life can be unfair. And yes, I know full well what it feels like. But God is still God. And ask him, what now? What do I do? Despite how I'm feeling, what now, God? What now? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son for us. Because ultimately, God, that's all you really, we didn't even deserve that. But thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. And Lord, I pray for everyone here the next time they hear that news, the next time that they, when that happens to them, that, Lord, they would remember you. They would remember who you are. And that, Lord, nothing would shake their faith. Nothing would shake their assurance that you hold them in the palm of your hand.
and that, God, you love us unconditionally before, through, and after it all. God, I pray that you go with us now. Help us to stay warm. And thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.